still, and tonight we are going to be talking about detection and sometimes even the seeming unfairness of the detection, as we'll look at closer as, as we close out tonight. But uh, Jonah thought he would run from God, but he was detected. He was found out. He was followed. He was uh, exposed. And uh, it is uh, it is a fact of life that when we make these wrong choices or go the wrong directions, uh, we are usually detected. Our sin is found out. That's what we're going to talk about this evening. Uh, my oldest daughter, when she was about six or seven, thought one time, had the brilliant idea to uh, shave like her dad. And so took my razor and uh, put shaving cream on and shaved. And, uh, of course, she would not be found out because she wasn't going to tell anybody she had these big red scrapes and cuts and razor burns all over her face, lips. She shaved her lips. If she'd asked, I'd have told her that's not what you do. But um, that's how we that's how we are in life. What we what we do gets detected, and it, it is not always not always exposed in just the actual act, but it often comes through. And so we're going to talk about that this evening. Jonah one, look at verse number six. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Father, I pray you'd help us in the next few minutes here. That we learn something to be a challenge to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We need to take just a minute to picture the scene on this ship involving Jonah and these sailors. This didn't take place in a conference room around a table. This was a uh, they were this all happened while they're being tossed around like a cork in the ocean. A terrible storm going on. The winds roaring. The waves are crashing. They have to hold on to things to get from being swept overboard. Anything that's not tied down is going to be washed overboard as the waves come, uh, and so, especially on the upper decks. And uh, on these, on the upper deck, or, or where, where there was a little bit of safety where they could converse, are a number of fear-filled sailors and one sorry-looking prophet that they've just woke up. And in a storm uh, like this, it would be a frantic type of environment. All of them are probably soaked to the skin with salt water. It's a very tense occasion. Life and death are literally in the balance here, and they are desperate to find out what to do next. And uh, it's interesting that people sometimes say the Bible's boring. Uh, I was, there's parts of the Bible that can get pretty dreary, you know, as you work through, but there's a lot of the Bible is exciting, and, you know, this is like, like I said last week, if Jonah were a movie, it'd be an action movie. And uh, it's got a lot of these elements in it. So from beginning to end, these 48 verses are filled with excitement, suspense, drama. And so let, I want to look at this little scene here where they find out uh, who's responsible for this storm. So I want to just break this down. Uh, looking at, first of all, the summons. The, the, uh, they said, everyone, to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil has come upon us. The sailors with their chilled bodies and chattering teeth decide to turn detective and find out who is the guilty one for this trouble that's on them. They'll investigate who is the cause of the problems. 
and it's a last-ditch effort to save their own lives, maybe to save the ship, and it succeeded because God was in control. He's God's controlling all these actions and is involved. God is involved in the affairs of men. Uh, we can get discouraged very easily, but let's remember that even as there's wars going on in the world, God is involved in the affairs of men. And he is ultimately uh, can move the hearts of kings as he wills. It's not, always e- uh, it's not always wise to play detective when a problem pops up. Sometimes you get a flat tire because you got a flat tire, not because you committed some horrible sin. Uh, this week, um, yesterday, I was with my dad, and uh, he, we went, and we're trimming an apple tree, and we're coming back. We're just about five miles from the house, and I help, he, of course, he puts me to work whenever I'm there, so, because I'm so young and viral. And uh, so, uh, we were on the way back to the house, and he got stopped by a cop. And uh, so, he was speeding. And, and then he uh, gets stopped. The cop lets him off on the speeding ticket. Uh, uh, doesn't give him a... Sp- and it's a state trooper. State troopers never, never let you off. And I got a ticket. I was the passenger. It's, how fair is that, huh? I got a ticket. Because uh, I wasn't wearing a seatbelt. And uh, so he lets my dad off for breaking the law and uh, stops for the reason we got stopped was for his break. Boy, I just didn't let him have the end of it. Now, Dad insisted on paying for it because he knew how guilty he was. But um, the uh, I don't know how I got on that uh, situation there. But uh, sometimes you get a speeding ticket because you were speeding. Sometimes bad things happen just because bad things happen. You don't always have to spiritualize everything. Sometimes it's not wise to play detective, but sometimes it is. And wisdom is knowing the difference between the two. Uh, for example, the disciples asked Jesus one time when they met a blind man, who sinned? Did this guy mess up that he was born blind? Or did his parents sin that he was born blind? Think about that question, by the way. Did this man sin that he was born blind? He would have had to sin in the womb to be born blind. But uh, that's what they asked. And Jesus said, neither. Neither of them did wrong. He didn't do wrong, they didn't do wrong. I mean, not that they were perfect, but this isn't because of sin. It's just because God's going to be glorified. So the disciples wanted to find who's to blame for the troubles this guy has. Sometimes they're just troubles. Sometimes nobody is to blame. Sometimes uh, that is just for the glory of God. And so Jesus told them neither one. But there are times when we do need to search out the culprit, especially when the problems persist. So wisdom is knowing the difference. When to do the investigation and when to when not to do it. Some play detective every time a plot problem arises and, they, and then others never investigate anything. So you've got two extremes that people can go to. Uh, you uh, can create an atmosphere of constant suspicion where you never trust anyone or you can create an ap- atmosphere of such tolerance that you do what the Revelation chapter 2, verse 20 church did when they even allowed Jezebel to teach. And so you've got, and the devil, by the way, loves extremes. And, and we, you know, humankind tends to go with the pendulum, uh, swing it too far one side or the other way. And the devil loves when we are caught up in these extremes. So the sailors gave us a good rule to follow here when, when to, to do this detective work. They did it when all the other efforts had failed to save the ship. 
it was, it was absolutely imperative for them to find out if someone on board the ship was endangering all their lives because of his evil. So to remedy the situation, to save their lives, uh, they finally did some of this detective work. There are some examples in Scripture, by the way, when you need to do this. Um, they had to root Achan out. Remember when they got to victory over Jericho and then they, they lost in AI because of Achan's sin? and They had to find out what was going on there. They had to investigate and find out uh, that Achan was the one that had the sin. And the, the, God told Joshua their sin in the camp. So that succeeded in locating Israel's problem. David needed to investigate in, in 2 Samuel chapter 21. He needed to investigate and ask God for the reason for the three-year famine in the land. It was the mistreatments of the Gibeonites some years before under King Saul. That's why they were going through this. David had to find that out here. Governments, our governments have to do detective work to find out the criminals and to get them off the streets and and to uh, when during times of war to find out spies and those that are traitorous against our country. Churches sometimes need to find out when there's sin uh, in their midst and, and uh, sometimes even expose that uh, if they want God's blessings. There are times that we do this detective work, and uh, but when we do so, we always need to make sure we're not uh, hypocritical about it. We, may, we better make sure we don't major on minors and minor on majors. In other words, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 3, uh, not to 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 uh, go after the mote that is in thy brother's eyes, but consider it's not the beam that is in thine own eye. And sometimes we're very good at picking the problems in other people's lives, but our own lives have these glaring problems and we just ignore that. Uh, there cannot be an agenda in an examination or when we're looking to find sin in the midst. So the sailors in this text went about it the right way. They did it with equity. They were fair. They did not exclude themselves in the investigation. Let us, they said, cast lots among all of us. So they might have suspected Jonah. Uh, probably he was giving some indication that not all was well in his life. Uh, but the sailors refused to be hypocritical and they and only examined others. They in, included themselves in the examination. Let us means that they were all involved. Now, we may not always discover the sins of others, but we can always examine ourselves. We can make sure that we're in the right place. Uh, there, there, and by the way, don't we all have enough to deal with right here that we don't need to get nosy about everybody else's issues? I got enough problems in my own life and enough struggles in my own life that I don't need to be critical over yours. And so we ought to always examine ourselves. This should be our first obligation in sin detection, ought to be in ourselves. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, we read at every communion service, so let a man examine himself. Uh, and let every man examine himself. And that ought to be our first effort. Sin needs to be brought to the surface and dealt with properly if God's going to bless. Uh, but detection should not be done without much care. That's why... In fact, I think we talked about it Sunday, Galatians 6, 1, uh, where we restore such an one with humility and meekness, ye that are spiritual, the Bible says, to restore. And there's a reason for that, because when you're trying to detect sin, whether it's in a uh, church situation or whatever, we don't do so uh, in a witch hunting or a fault-finding campaign. Uh, there's not supposed to be any personal vindictiveness that's why the Bible specifically says, ye that are spiritual. 
and uh, all of those things should be avoided. So the sailors could have been hard on Jonah. They could have thrown him overboard in the beginning because he was the outsider, but they didn't. They were fair about it, and uh, they were impartial in their investigation. We have enough critics inspecting others when they're the ones that have the glaring issues themselves. Let's not be one of those people. Let's do first inward examination and then outward. If every person did what uh, 1 Corinthians 11.28 says, but every man examined himself, We'd be in a lot better shape, wouldn't we? So let's just do that as a, as a practice. And then look at the system. So they cast lots to discover which person on, the board, on board the ship was the cause of the storm. Now, I don't want to get too hung up on how they did it. Obviously, this does not justify gambling of any kind, casting lots. Also, it does not sanction us to use the same method to find out things in our spiritual, the decisions we make spiritually. Just because Gideon put out a fleece and it was wet one night and the ground was dry and then the ground was wet and the fleece was dry, that doesn't mean that we need to trot out and buy a fleece, okay, and, and do the same thing. God did work in some of these areas, but that is not a pattern for us. I'll get to a second what our pattern is. Uh, the fact that God used this to expose Jonah does not justify the evil. In fact, in Psalm 76.10, he says that he makes even the wrath of man to please him. That is not meaning he's a justifying unholy wrath of men, but he, in all situations, God can be glorified. This is one of the great truths about him. He can take a, a, the failures and mistakes of people and turn it into something good, Romans 8.28. So it's a wonderful thing about the way God works. In fact, God allowed a superstitious sign of the Philistines to determine uh, the problems when they stole the ark, if you remember that, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 6. And they uh, found out that the, uh, the, it wasn't the result of chance, it was the result of God's anger. Uh, the Bible says, and the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners. Now, does that mean God put a stamp of approval on the priests and the diviners? No, of course not. But he allowed them... Uh, he just shows again that God's in control. He's, he uses all kinds of different things in the world. Uh, to uh, he, He's perfectly capable, by the way, of using the circumstances around you to get your attention. And this is what he's doing with Jonah. Casting lots has not been approved by God in the Bible as a system, but it has been used numerous times uh, that God has allowed it. It was determined, uh, it was used to determine which of the two goats would be the scapegoat in the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16. It was used to divide up the land of Canaan in Numbers 26. It was used to expose Achan in Joshua 7. It was used to decide which cities the sons of uh, Aaron were to live in in Second Chronicle or First Chronicles 6. And uh, so only twice it's used in the New Testament. Uh, if you remember, it was used to divide up Christ's clothes. That wasn't a good picture. It was negative both times in the New Testament. The second time was after Judas died. They cast lots to pick a disciple to replace him, which was not God-sanctioned. I don't believe it was something the disciples did, but never says God told them to do it. And Matthias, who was chosen, was never mentioned again in the Bible either. So uh, this, neither one of both of those situations kind of have a cloud over them. And we don't need this method today. Because what we have today is we have this book. And this gives us the guidance, the precepts, the principles that we need to guide our life. This is how uh, it is through this book that guides us by precept and principle. And we do not need to depend on dreams. We do not need to depend on extra biblical prophecies type of things. The Bible is complete. It is total. And this is our 
guide for faith and practice. And uh, this, I know that I, I meet people that that ha, ha, feel that they've seen visions or whatever they've seen. It, this does not replace the word of God ever. God never sends a message that contradicts His word. And so we have that as our guide. We don't need uh, to to use lots. We've got the word of God. We just need to. Uh, Use, uh, use the Bible as it was intended. But the bottom line with this is God exposed Jonah and he used his environment to do it. Now, let's get to the exposure. The lot fell upon Jonah, verse 7. Jonah is found out. He could not escape detection. The Bible tells us in Numbers 32, 23, we use this verse all the time, be sure sin will find you out. Now, that verse is used most of the time out of context as Lots of verses are in the Bible. Before the Israelites were to cross Jordan, the tribes of Reuben and Gad basically came to Moses and said, we like it on this side of the Jordan. The land's good. We're settled. We like it here. We'd rather not cross over Jordan. We'll just stay right here. And Moses basically tells them, this is, uh, this is all found in, in Numbers chapter 32. Moses basically tells them, wait, you're going to tell me your brethren are going to go fight and you're not going to go fight? And they said, no, we'll go fight. But then when we're done fighting, when those battles are won, we'll come back to our land. And then Moses tells them in verse 23, uh, he, he, gives, he agrees to their request, but he says, if you will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Moses didn't necessarily mean everybody's going to find about, out about your sin. What Moses was saying here, if these two tribes failed to keep their promise, it would be a sin against God, it would be a sin against the nation of Israel, and everybody, it would be very evident uh, to everybody that they wouldn't be doing what they would uh, supposed to do. Their sin would be obvious to all. But in that statement that Moses gives, it reveals the strange, uh, yet it is a very true nature of sin. Sin tends to out itself. Sin finds you out. It's predicted by the character of sin that it'll find you out. One of the most prominent characteristics of sin is its inability to stay covered. The greatest minds of man cannot conceive a way to keep the lid on sin. Uh, it always outs itself. Sin outgrows any robe uh, that is made to conceal it. It shows through any disguise. Sin's friends will sooner or later betray it. We cannot escape from our sins. It's also predicted uh, by the om omniscience of God, this exposure of sin. God knows everything. He sees everything. You can't conceal sin from God. In fact, it tells us in uh, Psalm 94, 9, He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? He sees and hears all. Uh, remember the, the big deal with Watergate when Nixon was bugging <laughs> different area offices and and, uh, you know, because he's trying to listen in. Well, God has bugged all of our houses and all of our closets and all of our minds. He knows all. He sees all. Nothing can escape him. And so sin will always be detected by him. It is also predicted by the experience of man. As we live life and as we experience life, we learn about the sureness of the detection of sin just by our, exam by, by our very life. How many things have you really ever gotten away with? <laughs> the things are found out. And uh, things are, you know, I, I love that, by the way, raising our kids. I don't know how many times my wife and I have talked about this, that, that uh, the Lord allows us to see and catch and, and understand and, and see things that's going on in their life. 
years may go by without your sin being exposed. And by that, you might think you're successful, but uh, eventually it does come out. When I was uh, preached a meeting in Springfield last year, the pastor took us out to a an Italian restaurant. He says, just a little place, but he says, really good. And this, this uh, it was for lunch one day, and, and the, they brought out really, really, really good homemade bread and the, some oil, and then they brought this fist-sized, it looked like an onion sitting on a plate. And when they brought it, I saw it coming, but when they brought it, I saw it wasn't an onion. It was a, a, a big scoop of garlic, minced fresh garlic, like a clump of it. And my mom and dad and the pastor and his wife, and I was there, and we ate that clump and most of another one. Um, I, don't, I, lo- I love garlic. That was just really, really good that day. I don't know if you've ever eaten a lot of garlic before. Um, it, it stays with you for a while. You know what I'm saying? And so that night, I mean, I'm like, I have a pocket full of mints. and I mean, I'm just, and I can just, I'm reeking of it. And it just leaks out of your pores and your bed smells like it the next day. It's just, and in that way, garlic's kind of like sin. It just leaks out of you. And you can't, you cannot, you can't keep a lid on it. It'll come out. And that's what I believe one of the principles of that sin will find you out. And then the methods. Sin is detected in many ways. Jonah was detected by casting lots, by heathen sailors. He was exposed. Saul's disobedience, remember it was exposed when he tells Samuel, I've done what the Lord said. Then, bah, behind him, the bleeding of the sheep. And Samuel says, what is this bleeding of the sheep I hear then? He was exposed by that. Uh, Isaac and Rebekah, uh, they lied about being brother and sister. And then the king just casually looks out the window and sees them doing what brothers and sisters should not be doing. And uh, he basically says, okay, they say they're brother and sister. They're not from Alabama. Something's not make some some picture's not complete here. And uh, and one look was all it took to expose a lie. Ananias and Sapphira, they decided to lie to the Holy Spirit about a gift that they were giving to the church, and and uh, they couldn't survive a spirit-filled apostle. Peter exposed their sin. Sometimes sin is exposed by God's law of heart of the harvest, which is uh, gets many of us in the end. I remember hearing the story about a boy who stole a watermelon when I was a kid, probably to keep me from stealing a watermelon. Uh, but uh, Dad told this story how the, the boy would take and uh, he, he ate the watermelon and then to hide the evidence, he buried all the, he buried the seeds and the, and the rind. Guess what happened next year? A whole bunch of watermelon came up on that one spot and he was exposed. Um, I remember thinking, wow, can't get away with anything when you're a kid. But uh, parents are sometimes exposed by the talk of their children. When I taught school, when I was a youth pastor, I knew everything about every family because kids talk. And sometimes I would encourage it by asking questions anyway. But uh, Ecclesiastes says, If the sin of evil speaking was done in the secret of our bedchamber, in other words, if you do, if you only evil speak in your bedchamber, Ecclesiastes 10.20, a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. You're just not going to get away with anything, is what, what the Bible's trying to say. Detection of sin is, is done in a multitude of ways, and, uh, but the Bible assures that it will be detected. And then there's the warning. Uh, 
the sureness of detection ought to warn us not to be involved in it. Amen? We just ought to be doing right in our life. Jonah ran away from his duty, but he could not run away from his detection. The Lord's going to find him, and he exposed him. And then the cure. Praise the Lord. While sin cannot be hidden, there is something that allows it to be completely eradicated and taken care of. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Christ which cleanseth us from all sin. That's the way. That's how we ought to take care of it. Instead of trying to hide it, uh, we ought to uh, let the Lord Jesus Christ take care of it. This is the news of the gospel. In fact, Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. When a sinner comes to Christ, I just, sometimes I have to stop and just consider and, and think and be in awe of this. It's one thing to forgive, but to cleanse. He cleanses. First John 1 9. Not only does he forgive, but he cleanses us. What a great promise that is. Isaiah 1 18. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be, be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they shall be red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. So much so that the sinner can stand before Almighty God and never be afraid that his sin has to show because it is taken care of. Taken as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says put into the deepest sea. Praise the Lord. So then I just want to close with this thought because in case this question comes up, why did God allow Jonah to be singled out? Jonah was at least, he was a disobedient man of God, but he was at least a man of God. And here you have wicked heathen sailors. They're just, uh, they have more wickedness in their life than Jonah has in his. He's just being disobedient at the moment. But they are living a lifetime of wickedness. Why is God picking on Jonah? It w they would be greater sinners than Jonah was. So why is God picking on him? Why did he single him out? Well, to understand the basis of God's dealing here, God is not dealing with Jonah, or God is dealing with Jonah like a parent deals with their child. As my dad said, I don't know how many times, I'm not the neighbor, you know, I'm not their dad. I would compare ourselves. Why do we have to do this if they don't have, I'm not their dad. And my dad never spanked the neighbor kids. Boy, he took care of his own, mostly my brothers and sisters, they needed it, but uh, he <laughs> He, he didn't spank the neighbor's kids, and, and that's, neither does God. So God's taking care of his own. He is not a delinquent parent. God does not allow his own to misbehave without chastisement. And so, he, he'll, by the way, he'll also deal with the world according to their sin. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Uh, and so he will one day, they'll not be able to conceal it forever, and they'll pay a just penalty. But listen to this, often their judgment comes much later uh, for the wicked than it does for the righteous. That seems unfair. Remember David? David said that. The wicked are prospering. How is this right? And he was, he was upset about that. And, uh, the, uh, it seems unfair sometimes, but I'd like to have, give you this thought here. The judgment on the unbeliever is final. It's final. While the chastisement for the believer is usually temporary. He chastises us to get us back on track. He is, it's His mercy and grace to get us back to where we need to be. Remember what I said last week was this God finding Jonah is actually not just judgment, it's mercy that He finds Jonah and gets him back to where he needs to be. But uh, believers are chast chastened quickly to correct them 
get them back to a more useful life for God. And sometimes it seems, as we look around, because the wicked are given time. And sometimes it seems like David. We get upset, it seems like the wicked prosper, but they're given time to repent because don't forget, for the unsaved, when they do get judged, it's eternal. And so uh, let's not ever be jealous. And David, by the way, he got there very quickly before that psalm ended. I can't remember what number of psalm it is, but before it ended, he says, but then I saw their end. When he sees their end, then his, his uh, current situation makes more sense. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 8, If ye be without chastisement, then are ye bastards and not sons. The different treatment of the people uh, of God versus the people of the world for sin is not an inconsistency with God. It's not an injustice. It is the wise, gracious actions of an almighty God dealing with sin. And God deals with people's sins in accordance to their relationship with Him. It, it might seem like unsaved people can sin and get away with it. They can sin and nothing bad happens. When I sin, everything bad happens. I, I had a guy tell me one time, I invited him to church, he came, he got saved, I thought, anyway, I don't question that's between him and God. I baptized him, and he came to church for about six months, and he told me my life was just fine until I started coming to church, became a Christian and started coming to church. I was just fine. Now everything's falling apart. You know, one reason is because before you're a Christian, you have a very gracious enemy. If we can call God your enemy, he's on the other side. But when you become a Christian, now you have a vicious enemy that wants to destroy you and do everything he can to make you miserable. Satan is not a good enemy to have. Uh, of course, the long run is better, but I, it seems like that sometimes. Because as a Christian, but God's building us. He's molding us. It's just like a, a kid in a strict home sometimes might feel like, my home's miserable. Other kids get to do whatever they want. My home's miserable, but yet they're the ones that'll see more success because their parents care enough about them to make them study and make them do right and make them do chores and make them learn character and and all those things. So let's be grateful for what God does for us as, a, as our Father. Amen. Thank you, Lord.